Lo-fi policy coming at you. Michael Pickering here with our good friend Gregory Day, a writer, director, bookseller, and the voice behind Hipsville AD, the fanatical sect of God of subcultures and fervor and ramblings of all breed of cinematic pleasures. How are we doing out there today, Gregory Day? Oh, yeah, I am spectacular, sir, as I should say, because it's uh, the season. I am spooktacular. Oh, spooky, spooky. You know, it's so crazy. I love Halloween. It's my second favorite holiday but horror movies are not my jam, buddy. <laughs> so why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us what today's movie list is all about? Yeah, we're going to be doing a horror list, but not just any horror list. We're going to be doing a top 10 splatter flicks list. Uh, this is a list that goes all, uh, out to all my gorehound friends out there who uh, love the grimy, gross, uh, gore-filled movies. So uh, fair warning, uh, we are going to be talking about some pretty nasty visual effects in horror movies today. Yeah, yeah. People, heads up out there. You know, we're not telling you to watch these gory flicks. We're just saying these are some gory flicks, all right? So actually, <laughs> we may be doing you a favor to keep you away from some of this stuff, you know? Because I know me. Whoo. Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to wait to talk about some of this when we get into it. All right, all right. Well, then let's yeah, go ahead. And... Stay away, but maybe it'll attract you to them. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there are people out there, and it is that season. But I, it's a question for you towards the end. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. All right, what we got coming in at number 10, my friend? Yeah, number 10 is Blood Feast from 1963, the OG gore film. Uh, this is a movie about a weirdo occultist who is murdering women to assemble a body to um, resurrect a, an Egyptian god to inhabit uh, this body and come to the earth. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in conjunction with another movie called Blood Diner. Uh, this is the original gore film. This is like the first movie to come out that had explicit violence in it, uh, really pushing the boundaries what Hollywood films could not do uh, during the ratings uh, during the time of the ratings board. So this is a film uh, made outside the Hollywood system, featuring a lot of by, by today's standards, really dated practical effects, but this is the film that showed, you know, a woman getting her tongue cut out on camera, like showing the you know, someone holding a bloody tongue. And so this is a real, um, you know, transgressive movie for its time, a drive-in feature from uh, one of the great American directors, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, and this is a film that came out at, uh, you know, in the year that Kennedy was assassinated. So it wasn't like, uh, wasn't intended to be a comment on violence in our society, but it definitely uh coincides with a you know a, a shifting uh, moment in our culture and uh yeah so this is uh this is one of the great uh you know grindhouse exploitation films ever made um and it's worth checking out because it's just got a wonderful you know color palette and it's and it's gore and all this fantastic uh redness on camera so uh yeah this is a great slice of uh, american history right here in this in this flick you know, whenever you you say it like that, like uh, a piece of American history and like that, you you almost sell me on it, buddy. You almost sell me on it. <laughs> it but then when when you start this trailer up, it it literally starts off with a guy saying, "If you have a heart condition or something like that, you might want to leave the theater for the next ninety seconds." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" So I was like, "This is just the first one." I was like, "I have nine more of these trailers to look at." I was like, "Dude, ah," uh. but but you are right for 1963. Okay, like, if you think about all the things that horror films do, or have been doing, you know, for the past 30 years, or especially the 1980s, is normally when I think of like the heyday of horror, when it really starts to like, hit big, and then even like a, a resurgence of like your your Texas Chainsaw Massacres, or your your Saw, or your Saw, like five, six, seven, eight, there's like a million of them. Like, you really start to get this resurgence of bloody, gory films, right? Um, mm hmm but that wasn't always there in film, right? It, it, like it had to start somewhere. Like we've talked about film history before with like, you know, The Wizard of Oz and like Casablanca or The Maltese Falcon or like the old Westerns with John Wayne. You're literally going from that era of film to 1963 and Blood Feast. And that couldn't be like more different of cinema, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about another really great horror film from this year, is which is a studio production, it's called The Haunting, uh, which is a, a fantastic movie, but it's in black and white, and it's about so this this haunted mansion, but it's all told through, um, you know, sound effects and camera angles and lighting and stuff. And so, um, you know, it relies on its atmosphere, whereas that's, and that's the norm of a, of a horror film up to this point. Um, and then you get this film, which just comes in with an entirely different approach. And it's not coming in from an, you know, from an artistic stance, it's coming in from a, from a, a, a shock value point of view uh to get people to come buy tickets to a movie like that you want to see some some really uh atrocious things happen on film come see this movie and that was kind of the selling point of this film um but again like this is the same year that the birds came out and the birds also truly you know one of the great masterpieces of horror cinema but it does also have a, a you know some moments of like true uh gory violence on screen there's a scene with a guy get you know seeing the corpse with his eyes pecked out in that movie um, so yeah, this is like the time when horror films are evolving. They're not quite uh, to the level of you know your Chainsaw Massacres, but this is this is a uh, this is like ground zero for where this stuff kind of takes off. It's interesting, and it's interesting to think it started off like in the nineteen sixties and in sixty three. But you know, like talking about the evolution, I think your next pick really starts to see an evolution of a new genre or subgenre within this genre, right? What do you have at number nine? Oh yes. Yeah, number nine is Dawn of the Dead from 1978. It's the film that, uh, you know, to a lot of us is the epitome of the the splatter film. But uh, it's kind of the it's still kind of early in the stages of this. So it's this is a film that came out in '78, and it's um, it's a zombie film about these these uh, survivors who hold up in a mall trying to survive, and uh, it's a commentary on consumerism at the time. And you know, Vietnam has happened. Uh, you know, it recently ended, um, I should say, and so. Um, it's also a tumultuous decade, and so there's this. This film comes out, and it's um, takes everything that Blood Feast did and um, makes it like an art form. Like it, Dawn of the Dead comes in with some of the best practical effects for its time, um, and this features you know heads getting severed, limbs getting severed, uh, zombies getting zombies eating you know full on guts in this film, and so. Um, this is to me like where this whole like splatter period begins. Um, and you know, it's almost a decade after or a decade more after uh Bloodfeast came out, but um yeah, this is a uh, you know, where visual effects and the visual effects in this film made by the great Tom Savini uh really starts to take off as its own um art form and its own reliable entertainment source. And I think if if not for this movie, or or maybe other movies would have done it later eventually, but to me this film like i i think i saw this movie when i was a kid and it's probably the reason why i don't watch horror films today is because i watched this as a kid <laughs> but uh like if you think of all your your walking dead tv shows and all the other offshoots of walking dead um tv shows like it all starts with this movie right well i mean it all starts with night of living dead but uh this is the sequel to night of living oh dead. right right that's uh, absolutely night of living, right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Night Living Dead is it's in black and white, and it does have it does have its uh, fair share of gore. Um, but this is the film I think that really launched our fascination as a culture with these kind types of movies. Yeah, I mean zombie movies. Like every so often, you think uh, they've they've done all the zombie that they're ever going to do, and then they're on like Walking Dead season number fifty eight. You know, like yeah, no. <laughs> they just they keep coming out with the shows, and every so often a new mm -hmm. zombie movie comes out as well. Uh, I mean, they just, it, it keeps coming back. And and I'll tell you, at the end of this trailer, I, the warning for this one, because so many of these trailers give warnings, but there's a, it says, there is no explicit sex in this picture. However, there are scenes of violence which may be considered shocking. No one under 17 will be admitted. Like, they are yes. creating NC-17 rating before they called it NC-17. And in the yes, 70s... Yes. In the 70s, you could put anything in a movie and like it could still be rated PG-13 or R-rated, you know, like it's pretty incredible to think about in, in 78, a, a zombie movie, they made it NC-17, but didn't call it NC-17. Yeah, yeah, the rating hadn't existed yet, but I think Dawn of the Dead was either released with an X rating or it was released with no rating. Um, so it was just, you know, kind of um, regulated that you um, couldn't be you know, under 17 to come watch it. So I think I'm pretty sure it didn't have a rating at all because um, the censor board wouldn't even release it. Um, 
because of how violent it is. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. I would also say like this is the film I would that kind of like has uh, sets the precedent for having these shocking visual effects throughout the entire movie uh, whereas blood feast has one or two scenes um and a lot of a lot of blood feast you have to kind of get through scenes of cops talking trying to figure out the murder or like these um filler scenes really to get from effect sure, scene to effect sure. scene but this but dawn of the dead is really where like uh the whole movie is just stacked from beginning to end with really great effects i would say one thing about like effects and and I mean, the trailer, looking at it, uh, because you know I wasn't going to rewatch the movie for this list, but, <laughs> but but watching the effects on it, you know, I was like, all right, some of them are, some of them look kind of dated, but still like 50 years on, pretty good, like really pretty good. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And, and it made me think, like, because practical effects from 40, 50 years ago are dated, I can sometimes watch like those kind of horror movies because like they don't, they don't affect me as much, you know? But mm -hmm. your next one, my friend, no way, no way in hell. Go ahead and talk about your number mm -hmm. eight, please. Yeah, the next one is probably the most or one of the most difficult films on this list is a film called Martyrs from 2008. Uh, this is a really difficult movie to watch. If um, This is like one of the two movies on this list that I would, um, if you are really squeamish or you have a hard time uh, watching incredibly extreme films, I would recommend not watching. But also... Um, it's just this is a the film made at the height of the the movement the French extremity movement that we we've talked about uh, prior on this podcast. Um, oh, the French! Yes, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, this is at the you know that's kind of happening, and we also have the torture porn stuff with Saw and other thing other films like that coming out. Uh, and this is one of the toughest films of that period. It's about a uh, a woman who is trying to track down this family who had kidnapped her when she was a child and she's after them to get their, her revenge. But once she doesn't count the family, she finds out there's something really weird going on. And they're um, attached to some very strange people um, without giving away too much of the plot. Cause it is a, is a film. If you're going to go into it, um, it's rewarding if you don't know where it's going to be going. Uh, but it has a tremendous amount of torture and violence in the film, uh, body mutilations, scannings, um, it's a film that I think it's aimed at trying to evaluate the genre itself of of the torture porn or fascination with torture um, during this time period. I mean, this is a film that came out, you know, at the height of the Guantanamo Bay torturing stuff and the war on terror. Um, and this is a film trying to mine why we're so fascinated by this stuff or, or morbidly fascinated by it, if you want to say that. Um, and getting to getting to some answer or some explanation for all of this so uh, i won't get into what that is in this film but this is a um incredibly tough film to watch and i had to put it on here because it is uh the effects are so great and uh but they do have a point to them it's not just a, a salacious piece of cinema um and it's a film like if you watch the the dvd i don't know how it is on blu-ray but if you watch the dvd it does come with an introduction from the director who immediately apologizes for the film you're about to watch um oh wow I think, really yes, yes i think i think that says a lot about the the content of the movie that's incredible um yeah <laughs> especially for the french to apologize for a film like yeah yeah, yeah I, i'm i don't want to say too much about it because i haven't seen the movie but the trailer i was just like goodness goodness i was like i could i could kind of feel like what you were talking about it but i think it's also important when thinking about this genre because this genre takes a lot of heat from from society, from government, and like a lot of these films, when the the producers make them, they know they're going to be blacklisted from a ton of different countries, right? You know, like like a movie like mm -hmm. this, I doubt China censor board allowed martyrs to be played in <laughs> China, you know, and it's probably yeah. like that in mm -hmm. a whole ton of countries. So horror, specifically as a genre, to me, I think it's it's fascinating that it would turn inward on itself to evaluate. It's like, look, okay, why, why are we doing this? Obviously, so many people have a problem with this genre, with this approach. Like you said, with this, this fascination of with torture, like in Guantanamo Bay, and it's like a, a social commentary. So like, to me, I think, wow, I was like, how introspective to, to really turn a film in on itself from the genre. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. I will say also think that, uh, horror films from europe sometimes are incredibly violent and bloody and i don't think we contextualize them 
correctly sometimes because we think about modern lifestyle of Europeans, especially the French or the Italians. And we have this, as Americans, we have this uh, view of them as sort of relaxed, slow societies that don't care really much about, um, you know, military interventions and things. Um, but if you look at the history of that continent and the history of some of these countries, they're incredibly violent and really bloody. And oh, I think goodness, a lot of that yes. stuff bleeds into their history of horror and uh, yeah, so I think sometimes when I think especially for the French extremity uh, period, people are like, "Oh, I can't believe this movie is French." But it's like if you think about where they're coming from and their 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 country's history, like, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I have to go no further back than to think about um, the very explicit pictures of uh, Mussolini's death in Italy and mm -hmm. the death and the pictures of his body after and the stories of what happened. And that's less than a hundred years ago, you know. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but let's 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 walk away from that one and let's walk into <laughs> your number seven. What do you got for us? Yeah, number seven. We're also taking a little step away from horror because we're going to Hong Kong and we're yes, talking about one of yes. the most the craziest uh, gore films ever made. Uh, this is not a horror movie, but it's got gore effects that uh, rival the best of them. And it's called The Story of Ricky or Ricky O. Uh, it came out in 1991. It's a it's like a live action manga uh, about this guy named Ricky who was in prison. And he's like a Superman. He takes all kind of damage to his body in the fights in this film. Uh, but he is up against battling the warden and his top guards. And they all have their own special abilities and powers. Um, but their fights in this film, which is like a sort of a, sort of a kung fu film, but not to any great degree. Uh, but the fights in this film involve like tearing people's arms off and, and strangling people with, with uh, intestines and skinning people and just... Um, you know, Ricky takes all kinds of damage to his, you know, his eyes get gouged out and he gets his tendons cut and he kind of puts himself back together, um, almost like Wolverine from the X-Men. And so um, this is a blast of a movie that has just just incredibly violent scenes in the film, um, but they're satisfying and, and they're not played for for laughs, but they are in a cartoonish manner. Um, and so I think just watching a film where someone gets their, you know, in a fist fight and gets their head, you know, punched off um, brings some kind of uh you know entertainment value to it it's it's this this movie really made me think of kung fu flick meets toxic avenger b movie kind of style is mm -hmm. that like mm -hmm. where you would put it like that, that is kind of... exactly how i would describe it yeah. yeah yeah um for those listening out there who are not sure what toxic avenger is well that's like i don't know how to explain it other than to say toxic avenger <laughs> like it's it's 1980s yeah. actually yeah would that be right yeah, 1980s? Think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Toxic Avengers made in 83, 84, something like that. Uh, but I would say both these movies have very similar qualities where they are cartoonish action movies, but they are also incredibly gross. Um, but they're both kind of satires in their own way. Like I think Riccio is satirizing prison mo prison movies or like the way this, you know, um, almost like fear of the state. I mean, it does take place in a world where uh, prisons are privatized, 100% privatized. And so oh, wow. uh, once you're in prison, your life is kind of sold away. There's, no, there's not a lot of chance you're going to get out because the people who are running them uh, are profiting off of you. And so there is that sort of social commentary in this film. And then, of course, Toxic Avenger similar, similarly is a film about uh, consumerism and the you know government waste and all that kind of stuff. So um, there are these like over-the-top action movies um, that are kind of, you know, using violence and and uh, gross out effects to kind of talk about you know societal problems. And you know the the discussion about privatized prisons is still going on today. Like that's hot topic in the U.S. Even, you know, oh, yeah. should federal prisons be privatized or not? Um, so to think about thirty one years ago out in Hong Kong, and that's pretty cool. That's a big topic. I also wanted to ask: Is this movie really considered part of like the hong kong new wave with like um hard boil or anything like that or is this separate from uh i mean not really i would say that it's congruent to that where it's just okay, during gotcha. this highly inventive time coming out of hong kong where they're just making all kinds of films and the director of this film's also made um i can't i sorry i don't know his name off the top of my head uh but also made great other great films like the seventh curse um and erotic ghost story which just makes his really you know absolutely bananas kind of horror films gotcha gotcha i was curious about that whenever i saw it on the list and watched it, i was like 
I need to ask. I need to ask. <laughs> All right, what you got coming in for us with number six? Yeah, we're sure we're back in the horror, and we're going to Italy this time. We're talking about a film called City of the Living Dead from 1980. It's also known as The Gates of Hell, and I think that's a more appropriate title. But uh, if you actually, if you are out there looking for it, you may look for it under The City of the Living Dead here in America. Um, this is by the gore master from Italy, Lucio Fulci. Um, his horror films are super notorious for real gross out uh, moments. Uh, but I really like this film because it's got a lot of atmosphere and uh, it's about a this small town and this priest hangs himself to open a portal to hell. And you don't quite, it's a little ambiguous. So you don't quite know is this priest possessed by uh, some other force that forced him to do this, but him sacrificing himself has kind of opened this gate to hell and the protagonists are trying to seal it up. And so it kind of unleashes um, this terror in this town where there are zombies coming back to the, to, uh, zombies coming back from the dead but also like people are kind of going crazy and killing each other and it's just a lot of mayhem in this film but it's uh, notorious for a couple practical effects scenes uh, specifically a woman who's entranced by the the spirit of this priest and she uh, barfs up all of her organs on camera um, so these are the kind of films that like yeah it's super gross but like this is the kind of films that like um, mid-80s uh, Italian films or, or early 80s Italian films were just going all out because these kinds of extreme depictions of violence on screen were bankable things. And so uh, Fulci was the best to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, gouging eyes, ripping limbs off, that kind of stuff. Um, and like we were just mentioning this, you know, the image of uh, this priest kind of hanging there does evoke, um, you know, Mussolini. a leader being hung. Yeah, uh, Mussolini kind of goes all the way back to that. And, wow. and, um, and it is kind of, I mean, it doesn't explain, Expressly go back to that, but I think you can put the two two together. Like looking at that image in this film, and looking at that image you just brought up. Um, and yeah, make that's the just thirty five years apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and there's just yeah um, a lot of violence in these films. Um, you know, I think it, it you know, getting to the point of like there's this history within this place, right? And so like the atmosphere of this place is like unlocking, um, you know, dormant evil in this place and so um the italians were some of the best that do gore films but this is for me this is like the best one i'm gonna say and i and i kind of still want to save it until later when when we get to the q a section but um mm -hmm. the fact that you you know you even mentioned that you're like you know these movies were coming out because it was, it was these effects were coming out because it was a bankable thing that's what a lot of people need to to realize that industry I mean, industry is made up with artists, right? And artists want to make their films, but these films only get produced if there is a market, if there is a revenue stream. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the only way you hear about it. Like, there are there are there artists and directors and filmmakers who make films that are completely off the grid. Yeah, they sure are. But like, we probably don't hear about them because there's no market for them. But like. If you hear about a film like this one, City of the Living Dead, we're hearing about it because there was enough of a market, enough people who bought tickets, who who bought a VHS of it, who bought a DVD of it, like who kept it alive throughout society, throughout the world for 42 years now. So like these kinds of movies are being made because people are watching them. Um, and like you said, um, I kind of want to talk about that towards the end. But I will say one thing about this trailer. There is nothing more terrifying to me in the world than the idea of being buried alive. And when this trailer starts <laughs> with a woman in a coffin buried alive, I was like, oh, nope, nope, nope. I was like, not doing it, not doing it. I was like, <laughs> zombies are one thing, my friend. But like being buried alive, I was like, no way. This yes. should be crazy. Like, yes. oh, yes. man, because that invokes a different kind of fear right a different kind of suspense mm -hmm. in a horror film that that it doesn't take gore to get um the, and yeah yeah mm -hmm. the idea of being suffocated and claustrophobic and and with no light and it's just like to me that's like a, a differentiation between like gore horror versus like suspense horror like you know mm -hmm. is the person going to get out like that's to me that like uh, Anyway, okay, okay, let's keep going, keep going, all right. Number five, what do you got for us? <laughs> yeah, number five, we're talking about Reanimator from 1985. Uh, this is probably the least gory film on this list, but it is still pretty freaking bloody. 
Um, this is one of the finest horror comedies ever made. And it's about uh, Dr. Herbert West, who's come up with this serum that will resurrect the dead only um, when he tries it out on humans. It brings people back as, uh, you know, flesh-hungry zombies. And so he and his pals in the film are trying to figure out how to make the serum resurrect people as they should be when they come back to life. Only that goes completely, you know, beyond their control and, and the whole and it, it's kind of set in one hospital but it, it kind of like creates a zombie outbreak and um it makes a monster out of the pro, the antagonist and you know things just get really out of hand and things get really really bloody um and so this feature this movie features uh a ton of laughs and it's it's almost again another toxic avenger kind of satire where it's um just a it's a black comedy uh with a lot of bodily uh mutilations that that are um played for laughs um and a lot of scenarios that are played for slapstick laughs um but uh yeah this this features like a, a you know bone saw going through the body and like a um reanimated head that gets uh carted around a lot and so it's got a lot of incredibly great practical effects but uh, i wanted to include this because even though it's not as extreme as some of the, the films on this list it's uh, it's a hell of a good time yeah, I know of this one. This was a film that my brother was starting to let me watch and then my parents walked <laughs> in on and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. And, um, you know, I'm kind of thankful they did that. You know, my brother was a horrible influence. What a horrible person, you know? Yes, if you're wondering, yeah. do I like my brother? Well, there, there, there you go. There you go. Um, well, I would no, say but... it's a very admirable thing to show your little brother reanimator, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, sure, we'll go with that. Um, there were definitely some, like you said on the, on the trailer, I showed the, or it showed the picture of the guy's head on the cart talking, and I got the feel that it was kind of like a spoof horror film, which, of course, for me is like more of a, it's more appetizing than just like a straight horror film, you know, just try to put some funny stuff in it. So, you know, I could, I could appreciate mm -hmm. that more kind of like also you said, um, um, Oh, the, uh, blood diner. Was that the early one? Oh, yes. uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. That one also, I kind of remembered whenever you brought it up, I was like, yeah, that one kind of was funny too. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think the humor helps, uh, you know, cut the tension of a, of a, of a film of a scene, whether it's is scary or whether it's gory or whatever, uh, it helps cut that tension for the audience. Yeah, and I think it's something that's hard to do as a filmmaker as yes. well, right? Yes. Like, how do you how do you achieve that? And also, like, how does it affect your overall feel of the film, right? Because, like, in this genre, you are definitely trying to make your audience feel a certain way. So, like, mm -hmm. how do you cut that tension, but at the same time still preserve the overall feeling that you're trying to create for the viewer, um, so I, yeah, I think there's a lot of technical, like, um, technical tools, no technical, like, I just think it's hard to do. Okay. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say like, uh, it depends on what kind of film you want to make, but I think if you're aiming to make a horror film that is funny, not a funny film that is, or a comedy that is, has elements of horror, uh, you got to have like a 70, 30 balance. So it's like 70% horror and 30%, um, comedies because you know you're, you're presenting a realistic situation like this is the reality of the film and its situation is funny at times um there are really you know consequences to what's happening the zombies are really going to eat you um the killer is really going to kill the characters in the film not the other way around where everything is kind of played for laughs like a scary movie you know um so i think having that 30 percent um comedy in a film like this it helps alleviate the tension in the film um it helps uh you know the kills kind of go down easier you know um, that kind of feeling oh, i get what you're saying right the the percentage uh discussion it, it kind of makes sense um a film that that doesn't necessarily get easier to digest no matter what percentages you use would be this <laughs> next one that you have yeah. number four what do you have yep yep yeah this is uh cannibal holocaust from 1980 um so this whole list is kind of built as a sister list to the first list we did this year. Uh, back in January, we did the extreme films list. Uh, but that wasn't just tied to horror films. And so um, this one just, for the most part, is all horror films. And so Cannibal Holocaust is on both of these lists. Um, I consider this film, if you, are, if you are a true gore hound, if you're really into watching these movies, this is like the rite of passage movie that you have to see. Um, it was a film like for many years when I was in the video store, I'd walk by and I'd just see that cover and I was just like, oh, Lord, I know 
I have to like really prepare myself to watch this film just by the images on the you know VHS or DVD box cover. Um, but it was the kind of film like you know if you really wanted a reputation of someone who could sell like horror films, this is the film you had to watch. And it's um, it's like one of the first found footage movies, and it's about um, these this really um, this reputable documentary crew who goes to, to South America to make a documentary about this cannibal tribe and they really um, push themselves or push the push the tribe too far in trying to get uh, reactions out of them and, it, and then things don't go so well for them um, but it's a film that was like kind of made to make it look like a documentary and then it was kind of sold as as a, a fake document or sold as a documentary where people were, were butchered on screen um, and the effects in this film are so good that the director and the crew were arrested um, and had to prove in court that the all the effects were fake and they had to prove how they did them and kind of like uh, hand over all of the uh, diagrams and things like that to show that they were all fake um, but this is a really nasty movie it just has it has no redeeming qualities honestly um, but it's it's just like a film. It's almost like an endurance test. Like how much can you? How much of this film can you take? And you're watching a, a lot of like genital mutilations and complete body dismemberments on screen. Um, and yeah, it's just a notorious movie. And I will warn you if you do go out and seek this movie out, it does feature real footage of animals getting killed on screen. So that's all. That's to me now, having watched the movie a number of times, that's the hardest part to watch. Um, and so yeah, this is like uh, one of those really notorious films that. Um, you know, if you're going to go down this path of being a fan of this kind of genre is is one of those tough ones, um, unlike Martyrs, which has a point to it. Um, the whole point of this film, I guess, is, that, you know, you're just watching cruelty on screen. Yeah, that's a bit much uh, to take in. And like this is this is the second time I've watched this trailer, right? Because I like the second I saw it, yes, yes. up, I was <laughs> like, I knew exactly what this was. Um, and I remember yeah. our, our previous conversation. So I'm not going to like tread the same ground, but I will say mm -hmm. like. You know, even watching this a second time and thinking about it, um, I mean, what, nine months later, you know, almost really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and thinking about a film of this sort and thinking about like how you said the filmmaker and the people who were involved were arrested and they had to prove in court that this was all fake, right? And it, it, to me, it's like, yeah. wow, I'm like, then, then the question to me comes out, why? make this um which i don't want to address yet like i said i want to wait until the q a section mm -hmm. um sure. but i mean it's real it's a real thing that that you know it pops mm -hmm. up uh yeah yeah but yeah and and, uh, and yeah. i also kind of feel that same way a little bit but for a different reason about your <laughs> next one as well <laughs> okay yeah yeah i mean this next one i think is a, is a truly great work of art um it's that the fly is from 1986. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fly from 1986 it's david cronenberg's remake of the 50s fly um the original fly from the 50s the vincent price movie was about a scientist who's uh i believe in the experiment that he was working on transports his head and his hands with the flies and so there's a tiny little fly with a human head um out there and then there's a human body with a fly head and a fly hand uh, but this film is about a scientist who is working on a teleportation device that uh, in what it transports you from one pod to another but in uh, it, re it disassembles you uh, your molecules and it reassembles the molecules in the second pod but in the first pod when he does the first successful test there's a fly in the pod as well so when Renner reassembles him um, the computer doesn't know what to do so it puts together this uh, new being of D the human dna and the fly dna together and so um the duration of this movie is watching um seth brundle uh played by jeff goldblum uh turn from a man into a fly and it's a really disgusting movie but it's almost like a very um heartfelt film of watching someone uh die from a disease in this film you know, watching this his body deteriorate and watching his bodily functions deteriorate in very um gory detail I, I don't know how to say it any oh, other way right. but like yeah you're that's, watching, that's the right yeah, way yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's, it's just like a great uh tragedy of watching someone die people have said that it's uh a metaphor for aids from when it came out and um yeah i mean you're watching someone turn into a fly i mean i don't it's it's but in like some of the best practical effects you, you're ever going to see on screen um and david cronenberg is a, a filmmaker i admire a lot and uh, with these kinds of films, I think that he 
he's one of the filmmakers who never shies away from showing you something. So if he has an idea and he's going to show you what's going on, he doesn't skimp around. He's not going to, he's not going to do something off camera. He's not going to tell you, have people talking about, Oh, this thing I saw. No, he's going to fucking show you right on camera. You know, this guy turning into a fly. So um, I have a lot of admiration for him because he's also a great storyteller and, um, and this, the reason this film is really good is because it's a tragedy of this guy. who The folly of him creating this thing has led to this part, uh, you know, the, the consequences of it. And so um, by the end of the film, even though you watch this incredibly gross movie for two, two hours, it's a, it's got a really sad ending. Um, and, and I think that's why it stands the test of time. I would say I agree with you on, on so much of what you said. Um, I think why this movie is so effective is because the effects are practical and they're gross like this is a gross film like i've seen yeah. it a long time yeah. ago i won't watch it again because it so grosses <laughs> me out but like yeah. you do by the end of the film feel for jeff goldblum because he doesn't want this to happen like yeah and because it is so gross and and for me like i watched it and i'm like i felt bad for him and that was, you said Cronenberg, right? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was Cronenberg's like objective is to, to use these effects to make you feel for the character. And it worked, but still, I was still grossed out to hell. Like I was like, <laughs> I, never again, never again. Um, but I agree with you completely that I think you're right that Cronenberg is a master of his craft and telling the story and using the effects to complement each other. I think mm -hmm. he achieved that. And yeah. I think, in gore when you do that and it serves the story that's one thing and i think the fly you're right i mm -hmm. think the fly is probably one of the best examples um of doing that and i think that's probably why you have it at number three um but to, yeah, back to your, well, we kind of go back to uh oh go ahead or if i can just go back to another list where you talked about the gangster film um you brought up eastern promises and i rewatched yeah. it since then and you know i think just even though that movie is not a gore film, I think we could talk about just why practical effects are so good um, and making you feel the gravity of injury and um, distress to the body. Um, and Cronenberg is so good at that because in, in that film, there's a knife fight um, and there's a scene of someone you know disposing of a body and, and cutting the fingers off and just like showing you the gory detail of this, what right. it does to you. What's this lifestyle like? Um, yeah, I think he's just a a master at um, depicting body horror and how we treat our bodies in many different ways, um, no matter what kind of story he's telling. So yeah, this is just yeah, he's I think he's just one of the great artists of our of our time. I didn't realize Cronenberg did Eastern Promises. Um, oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's a great film. And I, I would say to add on to you um, with specifically in that movie, so you're. He uses all the effects to to make you feel like, you know, these individuals in organized crime, they do horrible, gruesome things. And and you're just like, these are are despicable people. And the effects, they hit you so hard. And then towards the end, one of them is literally about to push a baby into the water to kill it. And one of them says, yo, we don't kill babies. And like they they end up not killing the baby but for a second you're like oh my god they're really about to do this like yeah because like, it's that kind of movie <laughs> right and and you're yeah. just like oh my goodness and that's that's storytelling that's effect use i mean that that's that's filmmaking um mm -hmm. so yeah an amazing director for sure all right well take us to your number two before we get sidetracked on another list yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, number two is The Thing from 1982, the great right, John Carpenter movie, uh, probably at least in my opinion, the greatest creature feature ever made. Um, and I can't recall if we've talked about this film on this podcast before. We have. Um, but yes, we have. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's the story of a, you know, an alien that's infiltrated this uh, research crew out in Antarctica and it perfectly replicates any life form that it wants. And so it's this, you know, paranoid tale of these guys trapped inside trying to figure out which one of them is the imitation. Um, and so it's a great thr paranoid thriller. At times, it's a good psychological thriller, but it uh, 
is one of the few films that manages to use those filmmaking techniques with the just insanely great practical effects because um, once the alien reveals itself it's got these just out of this world uh, anatomy and it can kind of change into all kinds of things and the movie does not skimp on any of that and so we get you know crawling heads we get tentacles coming out of dogs we get all kind of weird strange organic shapes um, and you know gallons of blood and so uh, this is one of the all-time famous 80s films one of the all-time famous practical effects films so this is one not to be missed I remember this as being one of the most boring aliens films ever. <laughs> like, like I always remember this film way different than anyone else. Really? <laughs> and let me tell listeners out here, like I agree with Gregory Day. This is one of the highest regarded horror films of all time. Like on, on any critics list, like the thing is way, way high regarded as a film. And, and um, is it John Carpenter? Is that who did this yes. one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. like well-known filmmaker, well-known for this one, like, so many films get inspiration from what was done with the thing in 1982. But all I can remember is no alien throughout most of the movie. And and I was like, where's the alien? But like, I'm, I, I look back now and I think, Gregory Day, I may have deliberately deleted some of this movie. <laughs> Just to not, <laughs> yeah, just to not remember because I don't like horror movies. So like, yeah. so, so I'm not going to go back and rewatch it. I'm just going to say, uh -huh. I don't remember it all that well. Yeah. 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 I would say it's probably going to slow burn of the first 30 to 30 minutes. It probably no more than 30 minutes. If the movie's not that long uh, before it gets into the practical effects. And then from there, it's kind of sustained where you're just deep in the practical effects for the, the next um, hour or so. Yeah, you're right. I, I and like I said, this this film is really well known to me, um, even though it's been a long time since I've seen it. And maybe one mm -hmm. Halloween, I'll go back and watch it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, we'll see, yeah. we'll see. I right, will take us in for your number one on the list. Yeah, number one, I got to put it on here because I do think it's honestly the greatest practical effects film ever made and one of the most in the greatest gross out film ever uh is day of the dead from 1985 we already had one george romero movie on this list dawn of the dead uh, but and and that movie really kicked off this whole trend of um gory practical effect films um but day of the dead his film from a you know a decade later um is his masterpiece and it's his masterpiece of gore uh tom sabini uh famous uh effects individual do the effects on here and these are as about as convincing as you would could possibly ever find um violence to the human body like uh, you know i've never seen a real body like eaten by zombies uh but this film looks about as realistic as i could possibly ever imagine um it is set in um the future for where dawn of the dead is still set see feels like it's set in the 70s but this film um, is set in an underground bunker with these scientists who are trying to figure out a way out of the zombie problem and the tensions are running high between them and their uh military guards because they there's uh, kind of a lack of authority um with our government and so they're trying to figure out who is really in charge down there and so um that's kind of the sort of psychological horror of the film are these two groups um, vying for the power of the station but the zombie effects in this film are amazing you have all kinds of spilling guts and in people getting eaten and dismembered in this film and it just looks so incredible on film that um, it is rather disgusting to watch i, I will admit um, <laughs> but yeah but they're the best uh, so i had to put them in number one um and this is a really great film this is a film that is um really you know george romero didn't just make horror films to make horror films to attract people with the violence on screen i mean he would make night living dead right the, at the height of the civil rights movement in the vietnam war we have Donald the dead talking about consumerism and this film is talking about the military industrial compound and so um the violence is very warranted on screen um, to show the effects of all that stuff so um yeah i had to put this at number one because the effects are so good but they they beat up the thing just by a little bit for me um and yeah this is a, a masterpiece of horror that's interesting I, i'm pretty sure i've seen this one in fact i think i've seen all of ramirez's um dead movies as i'm going to mm -hmm. call them the, the movies mm -hmm. of the dead yeah. um yeah i mean they're they're legendary in horror they're legendary in, in zombie as a subgenre. i mean there's just everyone who's anyone who does anything even remotely zombie related 
pays homage to these movies. Um, and the, the evolution of being able to use these effects to, to actually do effective creative storytelling that draws in an audience, I think is, is an achievement in and of itself because it's one thing just making a movie to be gory just to see if you can do it and to, to see how it affects people or to see it, how the effects look on film, but then taking it to be able to use as a tool in telling a story, that's something completely different. And I think Romero and all of the dead movies, I think that's definitely where it really takes off. Um, but that's our list. That's Gregory Day's top 10 horror slash gory slash Halloween slash spooky slash whatever he wants to call it list. All right, yeah, but we got splatter some... flicks. There we go. Splatter, splatter flicks. All right. So questions for you, my friend. First one. Why'd you pick this list? Yeah, uh, I'm a huge fan of these kinds of movies, but um, Hipsville ID, my blog, really uh, caters to the gore hounds and, and genre film fans out there. And so I wanted to kind of talk about... Um, horror films for the month but i wanted to get to something um specific so i really wanted to talk about movies um that we don't see a lot in in mainstream movies anymore um or a type of film that we don't see made in mainstream cinema anymore um you know i think a lot of our studio-backed movies are kind of um moving away from doing all-out core films these are you know more independent flicks but um yeah, I wanted to show movies that I actually love that um, you know have a have a, have a quality to them and they go right in line with the dirty, gringy kind of films that I love to talk about on my blog. Perfect, perfect. And that brings us into our second question. That because you have a blog about it, Hipsville AD. You know, you you love these movies in the art form. Uh, yourself being a, a filmmaker, you know, ten films is so few did you have any runners mm -hmm. up that you were like so close to including yeah it had quite a few i was trying to think about uh how to exclude some of them so i have a few to talk about so i won't get too deep into them but I'll just list them off i have a couple non-horror films so lady snowblood which is a flip we talk about on here mm -hmm. and then um another japanese film called shogun assassin which is um exploitation version of two lone wolf and cub movies cut together so it takes all the great parts of those two films and puts them into one movie and so these are really great graphically violent um samurai exploitation movies or like ex offshoots of those films um heavily influenced kill bill um in many ways as far as like limbs getting cut off and stuff with samurai swords and just that um that brand of shooting blood like the geyser of blood coming out of people that you see in kill bill and other films like that that's where that, that that's where this comes from um but uh, horror wise texas Chainsaw of the massacre 2 from 1986 and then of course scanners uh another david cronenberg which probably has the greatest score scene of all time in it with the guy getting his head blown up um, in the first 20 minutes of the movie interesting choices i we have talked about lady snowblood before and i remember yeah. that trailer distinctly and most certainly you can see where kill bill volume one pulls from it um for sure for sure all right well now let's get into like our real meat and potatoes question you know what is it about what is it about horror and Halloween that so many people like these movies. And this really is the question we've been putting off the entire episode, right? This is like, this is what we're coming into. Why, yeah. what is it about this genre that people are into? Why does it still exist? What do you think? Yeah, I think horror in general is just people want, they just crave that thrill. They crave that excitement. They crave that thrill ride that you get from a lot of other things uh, you know whether it's driving your car very fast or going on a roller coaster but this is you're sitting in a cinema and you're fully immersed in this world that these filmmakers have made and you're just on the edge of your seat you know as someone's opening the door and there's a killer behind her someone's about to um you know trying to escape something you know it just it it puts you in that situation without having to actually experience that situation um and i think that 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 feeling that evokes inside you is just is um really thrilling for a lot of people and so that's i think that's what attracts people to horror films in general but i think with gore films um it's kind of this catharsis that um they bring for audiences or bring to an audience because violence is such a huge part of our 
our planet, uh, even though it's such an unnecessary thing, but it continues to um, happen across the planet. You know, and it's it's one thing to experience it on screen um, in imaginative ways versus experiencing it in real life. And so I think um, this also helps in some way kind of either relieve the fear of that or the urges of that in some in some sense in some sense. Um, but yeah, I think being able to see that stuff on screen um, helps also like kind of gets you out of your your own existence. Um, and to many different degrees of, of heart or, or violence on the screen, it could be sickening or it could be funny. It could be over the top. It could be situate, you know, depending on the situation. And I think that um, lots of people can find whether it's find it, whether it's entertaining or funny or whatnot. But I think it helps um, kind of shake you out of your normal you know, malaise of the, of the day and um, is satisfying in, in, you know, some kind of strange human way. No, I, I hear you with all of that. And I think I agree with a good portion of it. I think I, I want to add to it by saying that mm -hmm. I think that, like you said, violence is such a real, it, it's of course avoidable, but it's such a real part of planet earth's lives that that we we make it a part of our life um however a lot of times we kind of put our head in the sand kind of like an ostrich and pretend like it's not there or yes. you know uh, even if it's in our own communities you know uh which I'll, I'll talk about more in a second but the idea that like you can live in a community and everything can be perfectly fine but then somehow you have a direct effect on some horrible things going on around the world, but you never take the time to look at the horrible things that you're doing, um, i.e. the United States doing horrible things around the world and the cost of lives that it takes on people. Mm -hmm. You never think about what that really looks like, right? Yeah. You know, like you never think about what does it look like to overthrow a country? What does it look like to have all the soldiers that are killed, have all the elderly people that are killed, all the women, all the children. Like, you don't get that on the news, right? Like, people right. don't show the dead bodies and the horrible things of war that take place around the world. And, and so we can just kind of separate ourselves from basically all these real world foreign policy actions that we do as human beings to each other. But as long as we don't have to in-person see it, we're okay with it, right? Like, oh, you know, people, some people die. That's how it has to be. Like, really, really? If that's how it has to be, then why do so many people have a problem watching it on screen? Right. You know, if then mm -hmm. I think that's one of the real calls to like myself, you know me, I've I've said it a million times. I'm a scaredy cat. I don't like horror films and stuff like this. Like, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't mean I can't appreciate the fact that it really is calling a social commentary out on the choices we make as human beings. We have a problem watching yeah. this stuff on screen, but we don't have a problem with doing it to each other in real life. That's an issue, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I will say like for the flip yeah. side for me, uh, like, so I live in a city like New Orleans. New Orleans has a lot of gun violence. It has a lot of crime. So like for mm -hmm. me, when I watch a movie, I don't like to watch a movie that makes me scared, like horror movies. I don't like it because like I live in a place where I already have apprehension from just like being out and about if it's late at night and it's a dark alley, you know, that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, that's real life and real life happens yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So like I swing a different direction. I like to watch stuff about like, I don't know, like, mm, well, fun stuff like i love cartoons for instance all right i'm not going into it sure. what i like yeah. like but like yeah. i go a different a different route yeah. with my fantasy mm -hmm. and my movies um mm -hmm. but i like i said yeah. no less do i think that this genre is important because i think it is important for mm -hmm. sure yeah well yeah since this this list is specifically all about violence on screen um but i will say just i think horror in general whether it's disease or aging or um, death in general uh, horror also kind of looks at all of those things as well like our fascination with death um, or our curiosity with death because no one knows what is beyond that but we're the only living things on this planet to also know that we're going to die and so we're the only ones who can then try to make sense of it or try to understand it or try to explore you know 
anything, you know, all the different things that surround it. Um, but also like to get to death, like, you know, you have to die. And so a lot of these films depict that as well, whether it's in any different form uh, that I just mentioned. And so I think that's another thing that, 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 that makes horror so um, sustainable as a genre. Yeah. Dealing with the macabre, you know, yeah. like really looking in on ourselves and saying, what does it look like when we get to the end of days? Um, and I don't mean that in like a, a biblical apocalyptic way. I mean, it like, sure. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. 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 Um, what mm -hmm. does it look like when, when we get to that point or when our loved ones get to that point, it's not something we try to think about as a society, but like, we're all going to get there sooner or later. Um, yeah. And I think it is important to look at that as well. And, and to that end, let me, let me more specifically even ask you, you know, why is this list specifically important to you? And why should other people view this list as important? Yeah. So I think uh, I have a big problem with current movies, you know, the, uh, especially studio movies. And so our films that are getting released, especially here in the States, are getting more and more homogenous. Um, and they're not really, they're moving further and further away from depicting our lives and our reality. Um, and so like, if you're watching a modern film, a studio film, let me make sure I'm clear about that. Violence rarely is depicted showing its true consequences. You rarely get to see sex or someone drinking or smoking on screen. So we're moving further and further away from really understanding. If you're viewing the world through these films, from you know, you're moving further and further away from depicting reality. Um, and I think it's important to watch films that do show the consequences of violence, whether it is funny or not. This is what really happens if you were to cut someone open. Uh, this is what really happens if you know. Um, if someone were to lose a limb or something like that, it shows the consequences of violence. And so as we move further and further away from, from mainstream films showing that stuff, I think it's important to kind of go back and see films that do show that. Um, but these films are not just a bunch of, you know, fun films that are gory. Um, they're also reflective of the times they were made. And so I, I don't think a lot of films that come out today um, are really reflective of what's going on today. And so if you look at these films, they were made during the, the period of the Kennedy assassination or the Vietnam War or the Reagan administration, you know, the AIDS crisis or um, the war on terror. And so a lot of these films were not necessarily addressing head on political problems or social uh, logical problems, but were reflecting the feeling of the time. Um, and to me, that's much more powerful because that then a film has a last, you know, a lasting problem or a lasting um, impact. And so um, I really wanted to spotlight these films because I think these films can still be relevant today. Um, we, you know, we just lived through a pandemic. And so a lot of films about um, disease and um, greed and all this, you know, sort of things that we, we witnessed during this time period uh, are reflected in, in older, uh, you know, hypothetical zombie films or, or other horror films. And so, um, we're not really getting a lot of those same explorations of problems in our society in uh, in our films today, and so I wanted to show you know a good list of, of those types of films here uh, for Halloween. I dig it. I dig it a lot, and you're absolutely right because you know the films today that are making the hundreds of millions and the billions of dollars—they're superheroes with wings and stuff like that—and it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, like I like make believe stuff too, but no, oh, I, sure. I appreciate yeah. I appreciate what you said, and it's right. Um, good deal, good deal. And for Halloween, yeah. why not? <laughs> it's Halloween, people. Yeah, My yeah. second favorite holiday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, say that those kinds of escapist films don't have a place, but like, there should be more than just that. Oh, I agree completely. Yes, yeah. there there should yeah. be an array offered without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But my good friend Gregory Day, before you take off of the day, what you got going on at Hipsville AD? You talked about your blog earlier. What you writing about these days? Yeah, yeah. Uh, head on over there to badday.substack.com and check out my new series called Complimentary Creeps. It's my annual uh, October uh, theme where I talk about double uh, horror double features. Um, and you can hit me up uh, on Instagram at hipsville ad, or you can email me at hipsville ad at gmail.com if you want to talk movies.
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So for the Halloween holidays, I always like to get into a little like like I'll, I'll look into the creepy stuff, but I'd just be like, all right, that's enough. That's enough. One month. No more. No more. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on. We'll talk again sometime soon. Yes, sir. And that's Hipsville AD's top 10 list. Check out our friend Gregory Day online. Follow him everywhere, people. And always remember that Lo-Fi Poli Sci is more than just me. It's the we that we be. Talk to you soon, Lo-Fi listeners. Pickering and Day, signing off. Stay scared, y'all. <laughs>